Are we there? We're live, Logan? Yeah. It's your boy ZDogMD. Check it out. We are live and direct at a Z Studio. And today we have. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to get so dirty, people. It's going to get dirty like the South in here because we have Dr. Paul Merrick, the chief and professor of pulmonary and critical care at Eastern Virginia Medical School, Medical University, who, medical school, I should say, who made himself insanely famous first through his work, but then second, through this vitamin C miracle cocktail that supposedly cures sepsis. I saw it in the news come out earlier in the year. We did a show on it. I taught, we dissected the study that was uh, published in Chest, I believe, and we went through and we said, well, this is why it might not be right, and here are some reasons it might be right, but you know, the only way to know is to do a bigger trial or get him on the show. Boom! Dr. Merrick. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Fonz used to say that. Yeah, it's vitamin C is love juice. Love juice, baby. Love juice, baby. So everybody who thinks you're crazy, quack, insane just has confirmation. That confirmation bias, because he called it love juice. It's love juice, yeah. It, it's good for everything. <laughs> so let me understand this. So vitamin C cures cancer, gout, herpes, AIDS, and sepsis. The whole lunch. The lunch. whole thing. The whole thing. And could it be that this kind of dialogue is why people are so resistant to your proposal that vitamin C as part of a cocktail could actually help treat sepsis in a way that's unprecedented in the history of sepsis management? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Merrick, so good to have you here, man. Z-Dog. It is yes. such a pleasure. Yeah. So, yeah. So... Yes, you're absolutely right. So, you know, what, what people don't kind of recognize is there's an enormous amount of scientific underpinning in what we do. And, you know, this is not just invented. You know, there's an enormous amount of basic science. And it has specific applications. So clearly your problem will not be solved by vitamin C. Will not help you. So you're saying my mentally your mental un instability. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but but now this is interesting because you said that science backs up the concept of vitamin C that you're using. We're going to get into what the actual details of this cocktail are and all of that. And if you haven't seen the show we did about this, definitely watch it. it we posted it earlier. We did it a few months ago when this piece came out. And I'll tell you what got my attention first was the news headlines that were like, "Doctor stumbles on the cure for sepsis." And I will tell you, across the country, every single science-based doc, was their hackles immediately went up and was like, okay, there's some quackery coming now. Because when people say vitamins, cure, etc., immediately everybody goes up on guard. Now, you just said that science actually led you on the path to try this cocktail. You didn't stumble on anything. Could you explain that to the crowd? Yeah, so, I mean, the way it happened was I was sitting in the ICU we had a really, really sick patient who was dying. Oh, in the ICU? You're kidding me. Yeah. Unheard of. Unheard of. Yeah. Sick patient. Yeah. And then I was thinking, what can I do? And then out of, out of the blue, I heard these voices. These voices were talking to me. The voices said to me, you have to give vitamin C cocktail, like a margarita. And then I looked up, and I saw vitamin C up there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, now I understand why everyone thinks this is insane. But this is the funny thing is you can make that joke with a straight face and people might actually believe you. But you can say with an equally straight face that vitamin C with dexamethasone with thiamine given a certain amount of time over some days as part of a protocol that, you, that they're calling the Merrick cocktail or the miracle juice can actually save lives and people will think you're equally insane. Yeah. So, you know, there is... There is an enormous amount of science behind this, and that's what people don't want to recognize. Mm. So there are lots of pieces they don't understand. The first, I think, is that humans and guinea pigs, and I'm not sure why humans and guinea pigs together, are the only species on the earth that don't actually make vitamin C. Mm. So humans lost the gene to synthesize vitamin C. Okay. And so we depended on ingesting enough vitamin C. 
The second is when an animal is stressed. Say you have a little goat. And, um, Don't you stress a goat out. Okay. No, and you know, Mr. Goat comes and makes unadvances advances towards her, which is when she gets stressed out. Yeah. And she, it's like a Me Too goat moment. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. She, it's a Me Too goat thing. Yeah. And the goat will make vitamin C as a stress hormone. It goes up. So when animals are challenged, they make vitamin C as part of the stress response. So kind of like we make cortisol, say, as a stress hormone. Well, what's even more interesting, as many people don't know, is that cortisol is secreted by the adrenal gland. Vitamin C, during stress, gets secreted by the adrenal gland. So in many ways, it is. It's a stress hormone. It's a cofactor for a lot of things. Yeah. But, but let, let me ask you a question, because, because when Dr. Mercola or Dr. Doctor, and I put these in quotes because he's a naturopath, when a naturopath or one of these other quacks says stuff like this. They always cite pseudoscience. They always invoke the Dunning-Kruger effect where they say a few scientific words and then look like they're really smart. The difference is when you talk about the science, you're actually a full professor of pulmonary and critical care, a bench and a clinical researcher, and very well respected in your field as being a kind of evidence-based guy. So when you say it, guys, you've got to understand that it's coming from a very different place than a quack. You always look at the source when you're talking about stuff. So when you talk about vitamin C being a stress hormone, I didn't know this. As a clinician, we don't think about vitamin C. And this is where the naturopaths and these other quacks will say Western medicine is weak. We don't understand vitamins and natural stuff. But natural or not, vitamin C has, an, has a structure that looks like this, ascorbic acid, and it behaves as a, as a bunch of very crucial roles in the body, right? Yeah. So, you know, I don't see a distinction between regular allopathic and alternative medicine. If something works, it works. We call it medicine. That's medicine. Right. If you're subjected to scientific principles, yes. which is scientific systematic inquiry, and we can show that a benefit, that is medicine. Yeah. So that's the difference between medicine, which we practice, and things like homeopathy, which have no scientific basis and have been proven not to be true. But this is science. Science! And what's really the most intriguing thing about vitamin C is it's a potent antioxidant. Mm. It is the most important plasma antioxidant. And part of living, you know, we make, we use oxygen. I presume you use oxygen? Yeah, 50-50 with yeah. Uh, helium. Yeah, yeah, you know, when you pass gas and whatever. So, Sound like know, Mickey Mouse when I fart. Yeah. So part of, part of life is we use oxygen as a terminal electron receptor in the mitochondrion. We use oxygen. And the part of the problem is we generate reactive oxygen species. That's part of living. Mm. So those reactive oxygen species actually damage tissue, lipids, proteins, and cell membranes. What happens with diseases like sepsis and inflammation is you produce massive amounts of reactive oxygen species. And the best protection is vitamin C. Hmm. Well, here's a question. Don't you have enough vitamin C then when you're septic to just go ahead and do this? Why would giving more? It's just like these people who take mega doses. There's no point if you're vitamin C replete, right? Yeah, so that's a good question. So <clears throat> normal, normal people, if they have a regular kind of a diet and eat fruit and whatever, they're going to have a plasma level between 40 and 60. Millimoles? Millimoles. Got it. Micromoles per liter. Got it. What happens with sepsis is because you have massive production of oxygen species, these radicals get consumed mm. they're just metabolically being consumed so the levels plummet yeah so many patients the levels unrecordable <clears throat> most patients less than 11.3 which is diagnostic of scurvy so the ridiculous thing is most patients who septic have scurvy in the ICU Arr, I knew it. Walk the plank. Dispo to plank, PRN. This is actually one of the points of the science that you talk about. And again, like there are a lot of people who are like, miracle, this is quackery, vitamin C. Listen very carefully. When you measure, I'm going to repeat what he said. When you measure vitamin C in septic patients, it is often low, almost always low, sometimes under, below the level of detection. 
So in a way, these patients have acute scurvy, and scurvy is characterized by mental status changes, edema, swelling in the tissues, cell-to-cell adhesion issues, and you actually looked in, the, in, in, in bench research at, at endothelial cells. Could you describe that a little? Because yeah. people think you just came up with this, but you built it on the work of others, and you also looked at it in vitro as well. Yeah. So, you know, what's important is we didn't just sack this out of thin air, although I heard the voices. Yes. You know, people have been doing this for a long time. So there was a Dr. Fred Klenner from Reesville, North Carolina. So that's a state somewhere near Texas. Yes, my wife is from there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. who actually was using intravenous vitamin C to treat viral infections, particularly polio, in 1949. Huh. So that is, like, a long time ago. Right. So there's been a long history of using vitamin C. But here's a question. So a guy like Linus Pauling, who's taking 17 grams of vitamin C, and these quacks online that are saying, take megadoses of vitamin C to prevent colds, there's a fundamental flaw in that, right? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, so th- that's why you need to understand the science. Understand the science. You can talk about vitamins and still talk about science. That's why I think the alternative medicine clowns have made your life harder because they've set a stigma against this stuff. And then when the science comes out, no one believes it. Please tell me about what, why it's BS. Yeah. So, so there's really good data looking at pharmacology and pharmacokinetics. Mm. So what they do is they give you big doses of vitamin C, and they measure GI absorption. Mm. And what they found is that you have saturatable levels, that over a certain dose, you can increase the dose incrementally. Your serum levels don't go up. Aha! And the reason is is that there's a transport protein in the gut. It's called the sodium vitamin C transport protein. What does it do? Transports vitamin C. But like many transporters, it's saturatable. So once you've saturated the transport protein, it can't transport anymore. <clears throat> Let me translate that into Mughalish for our non-medical followers. There's a little train cars in the cells of the gut that absorb and transport the vitamin C from what you've eaten into your blood. And they get full at about, what, 500 milligrams? So anything beyond 500 milligrams of oral vitamin C, you're not raising your blood levels at all. So you're just shitting it out, which makes you a shit butt. Not a shithead, because that's different. So <clears throat> the megadosis thing orally makes no sense. But IV. Yeah, so what happens is, is when you take these megadoses, you just lose it in the poop. Yeah. So it's useless. Yeah. Vitamin C in poop is not of much. You tell that to my friend. Yeah, it's a lot of shit. Yes. Yes. He is he is never going to have scurvy. No. Because Tom pooped him out and Tom takes megadoses of yeah. vitamin C. Just so you know. 17 grams of that. Yeah. So, so the way you overcome that transport protein problem is to give it intravenously. Because mm. then you're obviously bypassing the GI tract. You can get high levels systemically. Got it. Okay. So part of the reason you're giving as part of your cocktail, giving it IV, is number one, these guys are intubated. They have gut motility issues and absorption issues anyways, but vitamin C maxes out at 500 milligrams oral absorption anyways. So you're giving it IV. So there's the scientific reason you're giving it IV. The scientific reason you're giving it at all is that sepsis, and I'm just trying to recap, is that sepsis is a a hypovitamin C state, acute scurvy, and vitamin C is necessary for what sort of things apart from the antioxidant component? Yeah, so so the first thing why you can't give it orally is the levels are so low Hmm and that you have decreased absorption that you cannot replace serum levels orally. You just cannot get normal levels, never mind higher levels. By, by giving it orally. Yeah. And, 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 and um, by the way, just so you guys understand, nobody measures vitamin C levels routinely. No. So just to get this information, you have to do studies and then realize, oh, this is something we're not even measuring in sepsis. And when we do, oh my God, it's unmeasurable. Yeah. 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 So you're right. So so vitamin C is, and so this is where Linus Pauling was smart. I mean, it's a very small molecule. You, you know what a molecule is? I went to some degree of school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mostly pimp school, yeah. where I learned, I, I got my pimp ham. Solid. So it's a really, I mean, it's a remarkable molecule. It's a six carbon molecule, but it, it's, it has some very, very unique 
properties. The first, obviously, is that it's a single electron donor, so mm. therefore it's an antioxidant. Mm. But it's required as a coenzyme for many biological reactions, which people don't realize. So, for example, hmm, to make catecholamines, norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, vasopressin, requires vitamin C as a cofactor for many of the enzymes involved in their synthesis. So, if you have low levels of vitamin C, you cannot, your production of these essential hormones is reduced. Now, let me understand this and repeat this very carefully. You're a septic patient. You're on pressors. You're on, somebody's giving you norepinephrine to keep your blood pressure up. And you are unable to make your own partially because you're vitamin C levels are so low, maybe because they've been consumed in this yes. stress process. And remember that humans and guinea pigs are the only animals that don't synthesize their own vitamin C, so it has to be gotten through the diet, and you're not eating. Exactly. So you can see the beauty of this is that you can, it's a stress hormone which is being consumed, which is really vital for making hormones necessary to maintain blood pressure. Mm has very potent anti-inflammatory effects. It switches off many of your inflammatory hormones, which cause the inflammation. Now, as, as we know, inflammation is a huge part of sepsis. It's part of the cascade that causes fluid in the lungs, edema, uh, inability to oxygenate. And we focus a lot in sepsis, right, on the hemodynamic resuscitation of sepsis, giving fluids, giving blood pressure agents like levofed, norepinephrine, to get enough squeeze so that blood circulates and you deliver oxygen to the tissues. But what if the tissues can't use it? So the mitochondria are dysfunctional, the metabolism of the cells is dysfunctional, partially because you're missing a necessary cofactor in the form of vitamin C. Am I understanding that that was part of the rationale for the repletion of vitamin C? Yeah. Now, why the dexamethasone then? Yeah, so it was, again, the voices said to me, <laughs> give dexamethasone. So the theory was is that Vitamin C has these anti-inflammatory properties, has vasopressor properties. So it just so happens that corticosteroids have similar actions. So I thought that at that time that it was possible that they acted synergistically or additively together to, to supplement each other. Hmm. That was the theory. Yeah. And it seemed to work clinically. Right. But then what we did was we actually went to the lab, which is the coolest thing, and we proved it in, in a laboratory. So, you know, people think that I, I was insane and that this is all BS. I just made this up. And yes, and I, I felt that way when I saw the first uh, press reports. I was like, mad scientist. But then we actually went to a, a, a real university, Old Dominion University, where they had basic scientists where what they did is they took endotoxin which is like bad stuff they exposed it to a cellular layer and when you give endotoxin to cells it dies mm. and then they gave steroid alone it didn't have much of an effect they gave vitamin C alone it didn't have much effect but they gave the two together it prevented the cells dying and the endothelial cells moving apart. So there was something uh, synergistic about the two working together in a cocktail and that you saw in the lab. In the lab. So now let, let me just put pause on this for a second. When a quack, when an alternative medicine person or one of these naturopath gurus or Deepak Chopra or some asshole like that says, vitamin C cures everything. That motherfucker is not going to the lab and testing the theory on endothelial cells and then doing a trial in humans. That's not what they do. What a scientist does is they do that. Now, the trial that you ended up doing wasn't perfect, but it was so interesting and compelling that it, it requires us to think about what you're saying very carefully. And this is where, ZPAC, I want you to understand how you critically think about press reports and studies and the scientists that are doing them. Are they scientists 
who actually are thinking clearly, have physiologic first principles, or are they just pulling big words out of their ass and sending them on the internet to 80 million views like Peter Glidden or one of these other guys we've debunked. So that being said, you saw this. Vitamin C alone didn't somehow, maybe it couldn't enter the cells, maybe it, what was the theory there? So we still have to further explore how the interaction works. Mm. But in, you're absolutely right. In order for vitamin C to get into the cell, you need another transporter. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. SVC2, which is sodium vitamin C transporter 2. What interesting happens is when you have infection and sepsis, you get decreased expression of that transporter. So the vitamin C is not getting into the cell. So you could give all the vitamin C you want, it's just like the gut, even if you give it IV, it can't get through enough train cars to get into the cell. What we know is that corticosteroids increase expression of that protein which gets it into the cell. Ah. So one of the possible mechanisms is that the corticosteroids help get the vitamin C into the cell where it works. So you need them. Isn't that both. cool? That actually makes some mother flipping sense. It does. Well, in here, okay. So And then it actually gets even more interesting. Impossible. It does? Yes. <laughs> so what happens is for corticosteroids to work, that's cortisol, it binds to its receptor. Yes. The glucocorticoid receptor. Yeah. What happens in sepsis is the receptor gets oxidized. So damaged, yeah. Gets damaged by the inflammatory, the inflammatory media source, yeah. so that glucocorticoids can't bind to its receptor. Vitamin C prevents that happening. So it actually restores glucocorticoid receptor function. So they're both acting together, like boy and girl. So, <laughs> so see, this kind of thing actually makes me weirdly emotional. Oh, it is. Doesn't I mean, it? Oh, yes. I mean, I just want to I want to hug you. you. I just want to embrace you. Yes. And I'll tell you why. Because we talk about holistic thinking and thinking in systems. And then here's an example of how it actually works in a reductionist environment of medical research. These two things are necessary to actually work in a complex web. And it's both of them that works. You could try either one and miss the boat. Think about how much we are missing in healthcare and medicine because we can't think this way. Yeah. And so what's really interesting if you think about it is when you test a drug, you test a single drug. Right. That's the way pharmaceutical companies work and make money. Correct. They want to sell their drug and they sell, test one drug. Unless it's a combo pill. Yeah. That they can rebrand and re, you know, remarket. Super Viagra. Mm, yeah, yeah, Super Viagra. It's Cialis and Viagra. Together. And a roofie all yeah. combined. So, you know, it's kind of unusual to study two drugs simultaneously. Right. But we actually added a third. God damn it. <laughs> why did you do that? Thiamine. Thiamine. Tell me about why you chose to do that. Because now it's so confounded by this big stew, I can't even tease it out. Yes. Yeah, so it was... Again, it was like a the sun and the moon aligning together. So the original theory was that so the way vitamin C is metabolized is it gets broken down to dehydroscorbic acid, mm. which then gets converted to oxalate. Okay. Now oxalate can potentially damage the kidney. Kidney stones, yeah. It can cause kidney stones. So there is scientific data that shows that thiamine is involved in the metabolism of oxalate. Huh. And if you're thiamine deficient, you have increased oxalate levels. Perfect. Which so that was the original thought. Got it. But then as we were going on this little adventure in our little boat, um, Dr. Danino from Harvard. Oh, Harvard, you know. <laughs> and if you've heard of this? My wife went there and she doesn't fail to remind me of it on the daily. You heard this little medical school? Mm hmm. Harvard? Yeah, it's in Boston somewhere, you know. Anyway, Dr. Danino did a study looking at thiamine and sepsis, just thiamine. And he found that about 30% of patients are severely thiamine deficient. There you go. And if you give them thiamine, they don't die. So we thought, hmm, that's interesting. So there were two reasons to give the thiamine. Okay, so to kind of recap this, 
And again, it's enough to kind of melt your brain. Dr. Merrick actually built on the work of his predecessors. Actually, as the anti-vaxxers say, he did his own research, except he's actually a researcher. And realized, thymine, maybe we need that to prevent oxalate damage, but also it's low in sepsis. So maybe there's some independent contribu yeah. contribution. And if you remember, you know Krebs cycle? Ish. Ish, not Krebs cycle. <laughs> I know, I remember learning it once in medical school and promptly forgetting it. ATP yeah. is involved, pyruvate. Yeah. So basically, you know, the whole business of life is to make ATP. I thought it was to have sex. Well, you need ATP to have sex. Speak for yourself, old man. <laughs> I got it dialed with totally anaerobic. I do it too, but it's still you ATP, do? still ATP. Well, you can't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you need So it. for endurance activity, mm -hmm. you need ATP from the Krebs cycle. Mm. Thiamine is an essential cofactor for pyruvate dehydrogenase, which gets pyruvate into the Krebs cycle. If you don't have thiamine, you can't get pyruvate into the Krebs cycle. You can't make ATP. This is, so, isn't that fascinating? This is, uh, yes. Uh, it's orgasmic. Well, it, uh, highly, and I'll tell you why I just orgasmed. Because this is the first time since medical school that the Krebs cycle has actually directly impacted my understanding of anything in the world. That is fantastic. So you're fixing part of the broken Krebs cycle. You're fixing all the cofactors that need vitamin C in the acute scurvy deficiency state. You're giving dexamethasone because it's synergistic and in itself is a stress hormone in a septic situation. Now this was the theory. The practice of it is you gave it in a cocktail that we talked about before and you did a study. Tell us about what you yeah. did. So, we did a study. Most people think that this was like a completely, utterly BS study. And I might have said something to that effect initially when I was looking at it. But the reality is, is we gave this to patients who were dying, and they just didn't die. How dare you? So, you know, what more proof do you need? Well... Here's a question. And, and I think a lot of people wanted these sort of questions asked directly to you, so now we have a chance to do it. You did a before-after trial, which people would argue is one of the lower forms of evidence. You said, here's a group of patients before with severe sepsis by these criteria, and you matched them then to a group of patients later in the, was it the same year? Or? It was like we did January to July of 2016, okay. and then we did the seven months prior to that, 2015. Got it, okay. So you took a population of septic people who didn't get any, in, the usual, they just got the usual intervention. Some of them got steroids, some of them yeah. didn't. And then you compared it to a group where you did this intervention, where you gave the Merrick Miracle cocktail, the vitamin C, the dexamethasone, the thiamine, and the other standard protocol. Yep. And what you found was a dramatic difference in mortality in people dying, in people getting off pressors more quickly, the blood pressure agents, procalcitonin dropping these markers of sepsis and inflammation, and just dramatic, dramatic, dramatic. To the point where only, I think, what, four people died in your trial group, yeah. and those people didn't die directly of the sepsis, they died of their underlying condition. Yeah. And everybody, the press took this and said, he's cured sepsis, but then I looked at the study and did a whole show where I said, well, you're comparing two groups, you're not doing a prospective randomized trial, so could it be that there are confounders? Could it be that the two groups were actually different even though your statistical analysis says they weren't? Could it be that in different times of the year, people are, have different uh, receptivity to vitamin C? I mean, you see I'm waving my hands a bit, but I'm trying to come up with all the, yeah. the sort of counters. The other one is, could there be something called the Hawthorne effect? So the Hawthorne effect is where people behave differently when they're observed. So the first group was a retrospective, you're just like, these guys were sick. They weren't observed. The second group was like, you're gonna be giving this cocktail and we're studying you. So could they have behaved differently? Yeah. So, so there's no question that this was a before-after study. It was retrospective, and we never disguised that. We openly said this was an imperfect study, mm -hmm. but we made an observation. It was an observation, and that's how many scientific discoveries are made, by observation. Like, how do they discover scurvy was caused by vitamin C? Yeah, so there, there was this guy called Ignac Semmelweis, and he observed that if you washed your hands, you prevented the transmission of purpural sepsis. So that's a peripartum sepsis, yeah. It was an observational study. He found that 
after doing an autopsy, if the obstetricians wash the hands, imagine something so ridiculous. Washing your hands. I don't do it. Tom certainly doesn't do it. That these women did not die from purpural infection. It was an observational study. People didn't believe him. No one has ever repeated that study. It would be unethical now to do a study where a surgeon would operate and wouldn't wash his hands. What do you think about that? So, you know, there are many things that we do based on observations. Mm. Now, clearly, it was an observational study, mm. and clearly we need to go further, mm -hmm. which is what we're going to do. Yeah. But it was a starting point. Let me ask you a question. It was a starting point. The data was really compelling. Your statistical analysis actually showed that it, it implied that this was not due to chance. It was not due to confounders. Now, the only way to really kind of get the gold standard is do a randomized, prospective, double-blinded controlled trial. But here's a question. Do you think that's ethical? Yeah, so that's yeah. the most interesting question. So I've had it from both sides. Yeah. So where I've actually given my lecture and I've gone through all the, the, the science. Yeah. And it's very potent science together with the clinical data. Right. And there's clinical data. People in the audience say, how can you not give this to somebody who's going to die of sepsis? This is unethical. These are both drugs that are freely available, they're not experimental, they're exceedingly cheap, mm. it's unethical not to give it. But you get the other side, you say, this is experimental, it's not been proven, and it's unethical to do it outside of a randomized study. Right. So you have this dichotomy. Where, where, do, you, where do you fall in that? Well... You see, I mean, we see it, and our nurses see it, and our residents see it, and there's no question that this has an impact. It changes the natural history of sepsis, without question. What its actual treatment effect is, I don't know, because of the limitations of our study. But it certainly works, and, you know, people across the world have been using this. Tell me about that. And you know what? Do you know what? I, I know a guy named what, but he's weird. I what? think he's Vietnamese. They tell me the same thing happens. You know? So they're confirming this, at least anecdotally. So they're seeing patients who on multiple presses, renal failure on the ventilator, and within days are leaving the ICU on their own steam. So that gives me, you know, encouragement that we just, there's something real to this. Now, now so I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, because... You could easily say there are plenty of before-after trials that show this early promise, and a lot of people anecdotally think it works, and then you do the RCT, the randomized control trial, and it doesn't work. And do you see that still as a possibility in your own experience? Now, again, yeah. you got to use your intuition a little bit. So, so you, you know, mm -hmm. as we'll get to, we are going to be doing randomized studies mm -hmm. because, obviously, I think it's become clear that the only way that we can get this rapidly adopted mm -hmm. and we can save the millions of lives we can save is to do randomized studies. Yeah. I suspect the treatment effect will be somewhat less than what we saw. Yeah. But we will see, I'm absolutely sure. I mean, I would be shocked if I would be shocked to the core. I would go into shock if we didn't see a benefit. But you know what? Who knows? That's why you have to do these studies. Yeah. And we're going to do randomized studies, and we'll see the benefit. And here's a question. Who's going to fund these studies? Because Big Pharma doesn't make vitamin C and thiamine, and, and where's the profit motive in this? One of the things I was very moved by when I read the first article is you were quoted in saying, look, I'm not making money from this. This is about me on the ground as a clinician doing something and seeing lives saved in a condition that is 30% fatal, 20% fatal, depending on where you are. And now we're seeing this dramatic change where in two hours their pressors are weaning. It's almost, it's almost a predictable pattern that you're seeing, the, you know, procalcitonin's coming down, all this other stuff. You like my hand waving? I've been working on it for years. I'm not as good as Peter Glidden because he does this. But, Very good. Yeah, but... but you know, you know, when you saw this kind of happening, you know, what, what am I trying to say here? Answer my question for me that I was trying to form. So who, who's going to fund this? You are. 
I discovered that you are independently wealthy. I am. I'm a Bitcoin thousandaire, and within a couple of months, I'm sure it's going to go to a trillion dollars. So that's why I'm here today. Oh, you're here to ask for money. God. Ask for money. Logan, turn it off. This happens every freaking time. You know what? I get a guest on the show, and it always ends and they're asking me for money every single time. And you know what? We're not just talking chink change. This mm. is Vegas. We're talking big bucks. Big yeah. money. Big money. Big money. Yeah. Well, but in all, all seriousness. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, when we when we started this, I kind of, we made overtures to the NIH, and we made overtures to, and we really didn't get very far. Mm. Fortunately, because of what it is, we had some philanthropic donors who came to us and said, you know what? This is the coolest thing we've seen. We want you to do the study. Got it. Got it. So, so because these are people that have no vested financial interest. So they're not going to bias your trial with the funding source? No. So a, it's not, you know, Thiamin manufacturers? Or, no. Big yeah. Thiamin. Pro, yeah, the big Thiamin. Because I'll tell you, big ascorbic acid, they are dicks. Yeah, so they are direct-to-consumer Flintstone is, ads. Oh, I've seen them. You've seen them. This is not the factories that make oranges. You know those factories that make oranges? They're orange factories? They are orange I feel factories. like I've just been told by Neo that we're living in the Matrix. Yeah. Wow. So, so it's not them. Got you. Okay. So this is like an independent group that are going to fund the randomized control trial? Yeah. Well, we actually have two, believe it or not. That's fantastic. I'm not giving you the finger. In, in, yeah. Aren't you? You're from some shithole country, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where they do this instead yeah, of this. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 South Africa, right? Yeah. 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 Actually, I never formally went to medical school. I knew it. Yeah. This is the thing with international medical grads. Just like my dad. They just fake it until yeah. they make it. Yeah. yeah. So I was like a student in the trees. <laughs> That explains everything, but you know, actually, okay, I want to summarize something, and then I want to ask you some personal stuff. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah And sure. I'm going to use more of these. This is fun, as long as we can hold hands. <laughs> Dr. Merrick, when this happened, now you've... When what happened? Now I'm getting really weird now I'm getting. Now I'm getting really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. Uh, I just want to tell you that, uh, in, in a platonic way. Maybe, maybe, maybe. 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 It doesn't matter. Mm. It's a brave new world. Yeah, it is. But uh, anything goes. Anything does go. So here's the thing: um, you, you've come up with this thing that has very little harm. We haven't seen harm. We haven't seen kidney damage from the vitamin C. Uh, it's not expensive, and it potentially could save lives. The reaction from the medical community to what you had proposed and done, and I think it was partially based on the hyperbole of the of the press. So we get very uptight when we think there's hyperbole because we've been burned by it before, has been very mixed at best, hostile at worst. And you use the example of Ignac Semmelweis. He died in a, in a mental, trying to escape from a mental institution after basically figuring out something that would have saved millions of lives ultimately. You're now in a position where if you are right, You've done something that's so transformative, that's so maverick, because no one would have thought to do it, that is completely out of the purview of Big Pharma and all the other crap that the quacks say we're under the influence of. And you're doing it out of passion and love and science, but yet these guys are attacking you. Now, whether they're right or wrong that this thing works or doesn't work, what's that like as professor and chief of pulmonary and critical care at Eastern Virginia Medical School, like, does that hurt? Is it something you don't care about? What, how does that affect you? Well, I did go insane. Truly insane? Truly, completely insane. That uh, surprises me not a lot. Yeah. 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 So I think it's cool. I mean, to be, to be frank, I, I think it's really cool because it's really cool. I mean, I think, not I think, we, I know we have a combination of Readily available agents that are cheap, safe, and can potentially save lives throughout the whole world. And I think the potential, that potential is just so enormous it can't be ignored. So if I'm wrong, you know what, I'm wrong. But if I'm right, I think the potential is enormous. But here's a question, you, you're not you're not bothered by these attacks by people calling you a quack or just literally saying that you're crazy and full of shit. Oh yeah, I mean it is somewhat disheartening when you know highly respected now I'm talking about highly respected world experts call what you're doing snake oil and dangerous to patients. I mean obviously you take notice. 
<laughs> but then you say, you know what? Can I use the A word? Yes, of course you can use the A word, awesome. They're just assholes. Yeah. Because you know what? They're criticizing things they don't understand. So I think if you, if you took the time and actually read all the basic science, read the biological plausibility, reviewed the biochemistry, you would have to say to yourself, you know what, maybe he, ha he has come up with something. This is my take. So I was very skeptical when I saw the news reports. I did the show where I thought we did a kind of balanced review of the article and what could work and what couldn't work. And I ended it with saying, if you're right, you've really transformed the care of a potentially fatal disease that affects millions of people. Um, when I dug in deeper, saw more of your talks, also looked at the primary science, talked to other people that I respect in the field, I was increasingly convinced that what you're doing needs to be studied more because it has the plausibility and the preliminary data to show something absolutely transformative. And you know, it's rare, it's rare in medicine where you actually get goosebumps when you see a result. And that should warn you that we're working on intuition instead of science sometimes and we need to tune up the science and make sure we criticize it, make sure we do everything we do as scientists. But don't ignore when you get goosebumps or when those voices come into Dr. Merrick's head and say, give all three drugs at once and see what happens. And it was, it was a kind of an epiphany when I was going through at, from a scientific angle, seeing your description of vitamin C as a cofactor, as a stress hormone, its deficiency in septic states and getting really fired up. And when you offered to be on the show, I got excited. And I'll tell you because I get shit on a lot by the medical establishment as well, by the same assholes who will just throw out of hand, dismiss what you're doing without looking at the details because we're doing something really different that's actually quite efficacious, that has a tribe of people. And to be able to use that platform to highlight what you're doing and not say, look, I believe 100% this works. You can't without further data, but I can say, I believe that you are passionate about it. And I've talked to your, your staff, so they've independently messaged me, and they're like, listen, Merrick is a legend. He's doing the right thing. He's wonderful to work with. And when nurses and fellows and stuff tell me that, then I really start to listen because you probably get it. And so what I want, again, what I really want to try to figure out is how do we get other people like you who see some of these connections, want to take a risk and do something crazy in terms of a trial that has low risk, but they're, but they're stomped by the establishment. Like, what can we do to make that better? Yeah. So, you know, I get emails daily from patients across the world who have loved ones dying from sepsis. And they go on the internet, they find out about the miracle cure, and they contact me because their physicians think it's garbage and refuse point blank to do it. They won't even do it. They will not do it. Mm. So because they say there's just no data. Right. So, you know, physicians have difficulty thinking out of the box. You think? They have difficulty thinking in the box. That's also true. So that they have difficulty thinking, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also because it's associated with you know, quackery, mm -hmm. they don't draw the distinction between this is science, mm -hmm. this is not quackery. Mm. What I say to them is, okay, maybe this doesn't work, but what we do know, and we do know this categorically, it's completely and utterly safe. Mm. So what do you have to lose? The worst that can happen is your patient can survive. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. And what's even more intriguing which, are, which is really excites me even more, is that you know about 30, 20 to 25% of patients with sepsis die. Mm. The rest obviously don't die, mm. but they suffer co terrible, terrible consequences. consequences. Yeah. Life and limb. So about a third of them die in the next year, and about a third have severe cognitive dysfunction. Mm. And I think that we can prevent that because you need vitamin C to make all these neurotransmitters, the serotonin, the dopamine. So I think the delirium that they get in the ICU 
is a form of scurvy and is actually data it's cool data where they've done lumbar punctures on patients who are delirious in the ICU and they measure their vitamin C levels in the CSF and it's very low wow so I think not only can we impact people not dying but I think we can have a major impact on the post-sepsis syndrome mm -hmm. which is devastating to many people because mm -hmm. they become people who were previously independent and could hold down a job these people are now they, they, they can't do their tasks of daily living mm. they can't go back to work and they're incapacitated mm. so this has the potential not only to save their life but to improve the quality of the lives we save what more could you ask for? Bitcoin lots of it for free yeah yeah. No, I, and th this is, again, this is why I think it's a low-risk thing. So my call to action, we're going to take some comments. My call to action is really this. If you guys are there, if you're docs out there, nurses, APRNs in the ICU, you don't have a lot to lose by trying this in your septic patient. You have to give it early, um, concurrent with, you know, admission to the ICU yeah. and diagnosis of sepsis. Yeah. So let me just e emphasize that. So I think you don't want to wait until the patient's dying. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, it's the same thing as antibiotics. And we know if you give antibiotics early, that they work much better. So what we say is the soon as you make the diagnosis, you're right. going to give antibiotics, you give the cocktail, but you've got to do all the other right things. That's another thing. People think we're saying replace other stuff. No, no, no. Antibiotics, pressors, all fluids, all the other stuff. Yeah. So some people get the idea that this replaces antibiotics. no. no. So really what you need is state-of-the-art care, and this is on top of that. That's right. And that's what makes it unique because you're, really, you're not causing harm with it. It's not incrementally a whole lot more expensive, and it's in addition to what you're already doing. So my thought is, hey, give it a shot and then shoot me your anecdotes, obviously HIPAA compliant, and just tell us what you're seeing. And we can crowdsource an understanding of what's happening in the setting of this and then feed it back to Dr. Merrick so when they design their randomized control trial, they'll have more sort of preliminary sense of what, what to do with the design uh, and also what the, what the outcomes might be and what they should be looking for. It, it, it's really exciting. So comments. Tom, was there anything that popped out? Well, I just had one from Jeremy that we kind of just covered, which mm -hmm. was one of the better comments. But he wanted to know, you know, what, what are your opinions on the future pre-hospital care of sepsis regarding identification, treatment of fluid, reperfusion, blood draws for labs, and maybe pre-hospital antibiotics? But I think that was... Covered. You know, so like EMS. So actually there is a physician who uh, keep unnamed who's actually working on a kit mm. of vitamin C, hydrocortisone, and thiamine that he puts in the ambulance. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that when patients are diagnosed with sepsis in the field, and give it right there. Give your antibiotics and give your vitamin C. Got it. And you know, a lot of these guys are potentially going to get steroids anyways as part of a stress package. Not all of them, though. And in your pre-group, some of them didn't get steroids, yeah. which is one of the confounders, right? Because although you adjusted for that, right? Yeah. yeah. Are you compelled by the adjustment that you did? So, so you know, we, we're going to do randomized studies now. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that will give us the answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so because um, uh, obviously there were confounding variables. Jen, uh, Becca Pearson says, ZDog, us uh, registered dietitians would love to chat with you. Hashtag Krebs cycle for life. Apparently it's a thing. The dietitians love the Krebs cycle. As uh, so Diana wants to, says, I'm a 911 paramedic, speaking of paramedics, and she says, when we're transporting a patient who is clearly septic, would it be of any help to provide thiamine and dexamethasone IV while en route, or does it need to be the complete cocktail? Mm. Yeah, so... That's a good question. I, I think you need to give all three together. Mm. Um, hopefully, you know, what we what would be proposing is that you have like a shock pack mm. that has all the stuff, vitamin C and thiamine together. And you just shoot it in mm. and then you give the, the hydrocortisone. So there have been physicians who decided to try and modify the protocol. Mm. You know, some they didn't like the steroid piece. Ah. And it doesn't seem to work as well without it. So it's... For the reasons you got into earlier. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's, you know, it's like a hamburger. You've got to have all the pieces together. You know, a hamburger without the bun is not a hamburger. A hamburger without the bun is my low-carb diet. So you just stepped on okay, well, my rights as a low-carb... Well, carb you know what? You're going to put 
ketchup, you're going to put... Has sugar in it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Mustard. You gotta put mustard. I mean, what kind of a freak are you? I have a severe one. Severe one. Yeah. Ash- yeah. Ashley would like to know. Uh, would you need to know their G six PD enzyme status for seeing as deficiency ah. can make vitamin C prooxidant? Okay, so that's uh, really unpack that for the muggles. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. that's a fascinating question. So mm-hmm. there is a condition called glucose six phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency. Don't eat those fava beans. Okay. So the fascinating thing is, is that well, when that ha- happens, is that you the red blood cells get oxidant injury. The trick is that low-dose vitamin C is actually the treatment for G6PD because it is an antioxidant. It's only in the high doses that you get hemolysis. Do they know why? So, I mean, it has to do with the red cell. So the red cell has a different... It doesn't have a transport protein. Uh So it has to do with dehydroscorbic acid being taken up by the red cell. Got it. So... It's interesting. So, for our perspective, we use a low dose. Yeah. And in fact, low dose vitamin C is actually being used for the treatment of G6PD deficiency. Got it. It's the very high doses they give to burn patients or patients with malignancy Mm. that they screen for G6PD. Got it. That's very helpful. That's a great question, actually, because that came up in uh, some of my reading on the subject as well. Um, Mark Silverberg says, yeah, Paul Merrick, I know him here in Norfolk. We love him. It's your people, man. <laughs> when we, I have a question. When we were talking, so when we were talking off camera before the show earlier, uh, you said that vitamin C, taking supplementary vitamin C may be positively beneficial for Alzheimer's? Yeah. So, you know, the, the whole question about whether people who have a, a reasonable diet should take multivitamins or vitamins is a really open question. Right. And the data, the science... So mixed, yeah. yeah. The science to date doesn't show a really positive response. Partly because these are very difficult studies to do. Hmm. You know, because you have to do them for long term. Like any nutrition study. Yeah. And how it's very difficult to control the control group making them not take a certain element or nutrient. But there are some retrospective studies. So they take patients who have Alzheimer's and they take patients who don't have Alzheimer's and then they look at their vitamin C levels. And multiple studies have shown that patients who have Alzheimer's have low vitamin C levels. And the biological plausibility is that part of Alzheimer's is you get oxidative injury to your neurons. Mm. And vitamin C is the most potent antioxidant in the brain. So there is some data and there's some biological plausibility that vitamin C may possibly have some protective effect against Alzheimer's disease. And again, probably more studies, you need better data. Yeah. It's hard to do. But you know what? I mean, I think it's so innocuous that what have you got to lose? And remember, taking megadoses of any vitamin is not a great idea, but taking megadoses of vitamin C doesn't help. You just shit it out. Because you saturate your transporters. Yeah. Well, one of the questions a lot of people want to know is, should you be getting your food, your, your vitamin C from food or from pills? Yeah, so obviously the answer is from food. So if you can get enough. Mm-hmm. Just because when you have food, you're taking the natural food, which has all the other flavonoids and other essential elements. Flavor, in. flavonoid! <laughs> yeah, whatever. Don't you, you know? laugh at me, Tom Heineber. That's bad, Zeke. <laughs> the problem is is that most people don't eat enough fruit every day. You have to have right. a, a real... And some fruits, like bananas, actually don't have a lot of vitamin right. C. Right, it's all starch. And, yeah. so, so that you... So the data shows that whether you get vitamin C from fruit or from a tablet, it biologically is the same. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with people juicing uh, orange, oranges and things like yeah, that? Yeah, so I mean, if they take enough via fruits, that's that's fine. Um, but particularly elderly people may not take enough fruit. So if you're a fruit person and you take enough fruit, um, kiwi fruits, red peppers, citrus fruit, you may get enough in your diet. Now remember now, the context of vitamin C we're talking about is intravenous in the ICU for sepsis. So this is a separate discussion, but I think it's valuable as well. Leo Smith says, how complex is the vitamin C corticosteroid thiamine cocktail to make? Is pharma the only option for large-scale production and funding? I mean, um, with 15 to 19 million cases of sepsis, it should be an appealing prospect to any sort of pharma for prepping the cocktail into one 
thing. And what's been your experience with making it? Yes. So, Are your pharmacists like, don't make me do this? Yeah, so that, that, that's a good question. So, you know, people say, well, get a patent on this and you kind of, well, retire. So obviously you can't do that. I mean, each one of them are non-patentable. Right. So, um, you know. Shakreli already patented thiamine just for the hell of it. He bought the thiamine <laughs> thing and now he's rich. Yeah. So, Still I mean, a douchebag. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't, you can't have a patent on vitamin C. Right. So what I think will hopefully happen is that they'll, and vitamin C is really easy to make. It, it's, you know, you can make it in your garage. Mm. It's, it's made from glucose. So hopefully that we will stimulate enough interest that, that generic companies will start making generic vitamin C, which just seems to be happening. Got it. And with that, the price will come down even further. So I see me, Tom, and Logan breaking bad in my garage with vats of glucose synthesizing vitamin C, and they're going to call me uh, Hildenberg, which was Heisenberg's um, slightly delayed cousin. Uh, other thoughts, Tom Heineken? You know, one question ethically that I'm curious about is, what about our furry friends, the guinea pigs? Because they also are screwed and can't make vitamin yeah, C. Yeah, how do they get their vitamin C? They screwed. So. <laughs> Freaking guinea pigs. That's why they're guinea pigs. Right. That's true. You know, it's interesting, though, that the goat generating a vitamin C stress response is fascinating because we don't think about these things in that way. And, you know, it goes even further. So, you know, most, you know, do you have a little puppy at home? Oh, I have a cat. Wow. But I have two Z-pups. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, most people have pets at home. Dogs and saying cats. a cat isn't a pet? <laughs> it's not oh, a pet. Not. First, you, first you diet shame me about my car. Look, see, dog, don't talk about your pussies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, animals are intrinsically more resistant to infection and sepsis, probably because they make vitamin C. Mm. But what's interesting is if you, if you do have a septic animal and you give it vitamin C, it has therapeutic benefits. So there are vets, mm -hmm. actually, who will treat septic animals with vitamin C. Interesting. Just because their levels don't get as low as humans do. Doesn't. But they still benefit from supplemental vitamin C. Got it. So, so let me ask you a question. What's next for you in this process? To work on the clinical trial? Yeah. So, so you know... You know, I'm going to retire. What? No, because I mean, I made so much money on. On, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> on vitamin C yeah. futures, right? Yeah. yeah. So we pork bellies. Yeah, I mean, you know, haven't watched the stock market, the vitamin C stocks. You know what? This explains it because Heinemar has been investing in vitamin C cryptocurrency. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's, I'm shorting uh, it actually. You're shorting it. Yeah. Fl Flintstone futures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm, I'm long guinea pig vitamin C. <laughs> so. So we're going into the guinea pig business. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, so the the good thing is that there are five randomized control studies currently being done. Awesome. And there are two more that are underway. Great. So I'm going to be involved with the two studies in the U.S. Great. And you know, I think that is so exciting. To me, uh, if this pans out. I'm going to have been so proud to have been able to have this discussion with you on the show and try to t tell people about the science. And even if it doesn't pan out, the idea that we're talking scientifically, doing it with, from a place of, of science and love combined, trying to help people, that's what medicine is about. Yeah. So I think that, the, the, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, there are unscrupulous practitioners who take advantage of sick people and based on non-scientific quackery. And I think that's, that's the tragedy. So you know, this is science. You know, we, we, this whole thing is based on science. We've, we've used a scientific approach. And you know, I'm confident that the science will prove itself. But I think always, you, 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 you know, if you believe in something, you have to test it out scientifically. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm super excited. I'm really excited, and I want to see this trial happen. I want to have you back when the trial is done to tell us about the data, especially if it fails, because then I'm going to be like, ha, 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 ha. how's that guinea pig farm doing? Yeah. Sucker? Yeah. So, you know what? <laughs> yeah. 
Darth Vader? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, I mean, all joking aside, I have tremendous respect for what you've done. Watching you speak uh, on on video is is a sublime experience, the way that you talk about the science about this. I think a lot of people should listen and learn and do the trial. And we have to stop being assholes to doctors who are trying to advance science. We can be skeptical, that's our job. But being an asshole is not... Yeah, so I think, you know, I think it's good to be skeptical. Yep. I, I think it's good to to double question, but I think then what you need to do is don't criticize the other hand. Why don't you go and look at the science? Yeah. Look what's been done before, and then you, you can speak from a position of strength because you know what you're talking about. Oh, hell yeah. And on that note, ZPAC, is there anything else, Tom Heinemar, you want to... You guys need to share this, okay? Because every day there's like such whack-ass nonsense about vitamins online. This is one of the only times there's been a good vitamin discussion online in the history of the internet. So share it. Paul Merrick, Chief and Professor of Pulmonary Critical Care, Eastern Virginia Medical School, a hero. Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant ish to me. This guy meant ish to me. We out.